Welcome to another episode of Capital Roots, brought to you by Capital Farm Credit, where we bring you the experts in the ag industry. We have found that, you know, hands down, uh, a cooperative is the best way to do that because the farmers that own this company have control of it. In addition to a few Texas legends along the way, we're your hosts, Joe Patronella and Clint Cryer. Thank you for listening. Now let's get back to our roots. Welcome back to Capital Roots. Today we've got Kevin Brinkley. He's the CEO of Plains Cotton Corporation, and we're going to be talking cotton and all things in the industry. I'm kind of the novice here. I'm going to let him and Clint take it away, and I'll be popping in, kind of stepping into the listener's shoes. And uh, here we go. Yes, sir. Kevin, thank you for being with us today. Uh, I'd like. To oh, start- it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. I'd like to start off, you just telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, and how you got to be to PCCA. Okay. Well, um, you know, I, mine, mine was not a straight path, and, and rarely is anybody's uh, a, a straight path to, to where I am today. But uh, I grew up in a really small town called Burnett, Texas, um, right outside of Austin. It's not so small anymore. But uh, my family uh, uh, has roots in agriculture. My grandfather on my mom's side was a cotton farmer. And uh, that's hard to believe because it's in the hill country of Texas. But back then, they used to actually produce cotton there. And uh, at one time, my home county had four one-stand cotton gins. So all that cotton was hand harvested. And uh, when mechanization came into play, uh, he, he kind of exited that business and uh, transitioned into just straight cow-calf operator and uh, and produce. So uh, that was the genesis of my uh, agricultural background, uh, if you'd like to call it that. And so that's kind of where I got my, my start, my roots. And, uh, uh, from there, um, was really involved in FFA and 4-H in, in high school. And that really played a really defining role in where I'm at today, because I don't think that, you know, if it weren't for those programs, I probably wouldn't have uh, pursued an interest in agriculture and certainly in education or as a career. So I owe a lot to those, those defining moments in my life. And uh, I went to uh, school uh, out here at Texas Tech in Lowick and uh, have loved every minute of it and, and uh, kind of launched a career uh, after college uh, in cotton and uh, have made several stops uh, uh, along the way. Awesome. Joe, I've got to tell you, Kevin Brinkley and his wife, Mary, they're two of the nicest people in yeah. Lubbock County. Well, you mean, admittedly, I'm in with the two Raiders and I'm an Aggie, so I don't have much to contribute from up there. But you mentioned <laughs> Burnett. That's one of my favorite credit offices we have. That That's a great place down there. So I, I know I'm at least familiar with that area of the country. Definitely. It is. It's, it's really changing. I, oh, I used to think fascinating. I know. Um, I knew everyone in town, and uh, I think I could not say that um, any anymore. So, Awesome. So one of the things I always like to joke about at Capital Farm Credit is we like our acronyms. And, and one of the things that I'm guilty of is throwing out acronyms out there myself. But talking about PCCA, tell us a little bit about PCCA, what that stands for, and, and what you guys do. So PCCA is the short way to say Plains Cotton Cooperative Association. And uh it, it, it's it's hard to get all four of those words out uh, very easily, so we mostly just use the initials. But uh, uh, in essence, we are a grower-owned marketing cooperative, which means that we uh, work for the people that own us, and the people that own us are the ones that grow the crop. So um, 
we uh, are a global marketer, but we have a very local hometown presence in Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. And it's a it's a pretty simple business model. We take the cotton that our farmers produce, we sell it for as much as we can, and uh, we uh, just deduct the cost of running the company, and we send them back all the profits. And so that's kind of the essence of, of a cooperative in our world. I'm glad you uh, got the acronym correct because I'm not entirely sure I did in the introduction. So now we're all on the same page. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Easy to do. Yep. So let's talk about who you guys serve and where you might operate. Yeah, so we are headquartered in Lubbock, Texas, and that that is where the company got its start uh, back in 1953. There were a couple of other um, pretty large regional cooperatives, and that's what we consider ourselves as we're a regional, um, and we work with locals, but we, we serve a large footprint. And so having started on the Texas High Plains, uh, little by little, the, the co-op business model caught on. Uh, decades ago, and and so we uh, continued to expand down in the Texas Rolling Plains uh, and uh, into uh, Central Texas and to South Texas, if you want to think, you know, El Campo, Corpus Christi, down in the lower Rio Grande Valley. Uh, that's kind of how we got across Texas in a similar fashion. Uh, we um, joined up with farmers in Oklahoma along the way. And really, one of the, the surprise stories, I think, has been that Kansas, of all places, it doesn't sound like it should be able to grow cotton, but it, they're very good at it there. And so we operate primarily in those three states. We, we bring in a few friends from the eastern side of New Mexico, and uh, those are the, the, the farmers that own us. We have about um, 15 to, to 18,000 of those farmers uh, that are owners of this company, uh, about say 7,500, 8,000 of them are actually folks that who you would uh, think of traditionally as a farmer who's out there making decisions about what to plant, what, how to cultivate it, and how to harvest it, and those sorts of things. Uh, but uh, most of them also are land uh, or are tenants and have landlords, and those landlords are also considered. Uh, farmers for us. So it, it's a very wide constituency that, that we serve. Makes sense. Makes sense. So from standpoint of, of the cotton producer, one of the things that as, as I consider capital farm credit, uh, we're also a, a cooperative, um, mm -hmm. really at the end of the day, trying to add value to the relationships and the customer base, our members that we have. If you consider the, the value provided by PCCA, let's talk mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, so it, it, this is a it, it, it's a it's a, a basic for uh, for a cooperative that uh, you're always better when you're producing an agricultural commodity when you have leverage in the marketplace. It's very difficult for uh, an individual producer to get that kind of leverage. You might see that in some cases where somebody's growing a very you know, a very niche product or, or they're either that or extremely large, but by and large, you know, most cotton farmers, grain farmers, um, livestock operators uh, are, you know, their, their product is easily substituted with someone else, uh, you know, next door, down the road, next county, next state. And so what makes you different is your ability to um, combine your marketing power with your neighbors and, that's that's what this company is designed to do is to uh, add value to that crop by saying, okay, how can we 
market in larger increments, uh, making it more valuable? Or how can we uh, do uh, some organizational activities with the different qualities of cotton that are produced uh, to make it more value? Uh, and then just over the last few years here, we really have uh, placed a large emphasis on how can we partner up with uh, the end users that take cotton and make it into you know any kind of textile that you want to think about how, how can we meet their needs better and uh, thereby uh, increase the value of uh, our producers cotton and so you know our our philosophy here is that if we have a successful customer when you think of a successful customer you think about either somebody that's buying cotton or somebody that is um, a, a textile mill or a brand and retailer uh, that is trying to meet a consumer's needs, if they are successful, then we believe that flows back to uh, our producers. And uh, we have found that, you know, uh, hands down, uh, a cooperative is the best way to do that because the farmers that own this company have control of it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Here at Capital Farm Credit, we've got a, our tagline is, uh, together we're better. And I think that was something that definitely illustrates the cooperative principles and, and exactly what you're uh, alluding to there with value provision to our, our membership. Yeah, it's a great message. Yep. Strength in numbers. There's no doubt. No doubt. So talk about a little bit about how your marketing works. I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a new cotton producer, let's say, um, how do I get affiliated with PCCA and what does that mean? And you know, what are the steps? How does it work? What should I expect? Sure. Well, like any other cooperative, um, you know, we talk about it in terms of membership, and it's not like it's a club or anything like that. The only thing you have to do to be considered a member of a cooperative is you have to uh, deliver production uh, to us. And so when somebody delivers a bale of cotton here, uh, that automatically makes them a member of the cooperative. And But we, we, we'd like to really focus on the term grower owners because that's what they are. They're growing the product and and they're also owners of this business. And so that's how they, they, they get engaged with that. When someone decides to become a grower owner of PCCA, we offer them a variety of different marketing avenues. And so historically, um, a lot of our growers have chosen to be a member of one of our seasonal pools. Uh, the, the, the magic behind that is that we have really variable weather patterns out here. And certainly this year, we can talk about that a little bit later if you'd like, but this year is Definitely. one of those years where weather teaches you the lesson of, of what it's like to market uh, as a group, um, because uh, invariably you're going to have drought or some other sort of destructive weather. And uh, if farmers take their farms and they pool those all together, then that allows us to market that crop throughout the season uh, and be sure that we're going to be able to meet our commitments to uh, our customers. And so once they enter that pool, uh, then we're able to uh, sell it throughout the season. And then we pay every grower uh, the average profits uh, gained across the pool. Uh, does it ever hit the top of the market? Rarely, uh, if ever. What a pool is designed to do is to keep them uh, from seeing the bottom of the market. And that's why you time sales across uh, the year. So that's a, 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 a no risk proposition for a producer. He can sign his farm into that. 
uh, if he gets, um, you know, hailed out or uh, droughted out or whatever it is, he, he, he doesn't have any risk in that uh, versus if he tries to do like a forward contract uh, on his own. So that's been the most popular option out there. But we are having a lot of producers that uh, are interested in other uh, avenues. Um, one of the things we've done really well here over the years has been uh, cash marketing. So um, back in 1975, um, PCCA introduced a product called Telcot. And so uh, basically the, the genesis of that uh, legend has it is that uh, one of my predecessors, a, a man named Dan Davis, is a very innovative thinker. And he was uh, uh, passing through the DFW airport one day and he saw the flight boards up there that, you know, tell you when your plane's going to take off or arrive. And he was kind of studying about it and you know, being isolated out here in West Texas. I think the thought occurred to him, you know, why can we not use that type of technology to um, sell our cotton all across the U.S. and, and perhaps across the world? And so he uh, pitched the idea to the board of directors. And this was 75. so. You got to think, you know, if you're sitting in the boardroom, you're kind of going, what's a computer? Yeah. And so uh, he pitched that idea to them. And uh, in 1975, every gen office uh, in uh, our footprint had a terminal, computer terminal, and uh, all the buyer's offices had those terminals in them. And so uh, farmers would go out and cash market across um, that system. And it, just for context, 1975 is the year that the Defense Department created the Internet. So this was all pre-Internet. And so very innovative uh, at, at the time. It continues to be to this day. In 2000, uh, we went together with some of the art, other large uh, players in the industry, uh, uh, Cargill and Dreyfus and, and, and some others, and uh, started up a company called The Scene. And The Scene can continues to offer that trading platforms on the internet today, uh, but continues to offer that platform out there as a cash marketing alternative. And the magic of it is that it creates an auction effect for somebody's cotton. You have lots of bidders globally uh, looking at your cotton, probably something you couldn't uh, accomplish on your own uh, very easily. And then, of course, we, we do forward contracting uh, for those that have more predictable production and want to be able to lock in the price at the time of their choosing. We, we allow them to do that. And then we do some other things that uh, are, are uh, hybrids of those um, particular instruments. But those are, those are the basic, the fundamental ways that people market cotton here. That story you just told, we, we were talking uh, priorly with Billy Zandalini and he's, he's got a group of kids going through this board log Institute and, and he's preaching to them about the importance of advocating for ag and talking about not just a typical farmer on a tractor, not that there's anything wrong with that, but telling our story in ag about how we ha are at the forefront of these technologies. And, and I, I love hearing stories about that from what the forefront of the technology used to be because we classically always have been, and we just haven't necessarily been good about telling that story. So that's really neat for me and I'm sure Clinton as well to hear about that. And so I thank you for sharing that. That's neat. Hey, yeah. can, I actually did have a question going back, and this is once again my ignorance. Can you tell me what's so different or special about Kansas cotton? You just said that you wouldn't think it could be grown there, and uh, that really stuck out to me. I don't know. Is there? Is, is, 
Yeah, I mean, historically, you would think Kansas is is just too far north. So, okay. you know, cotton cotton is about 180 days uh, from the time you plant it to the time you harvest it, give or take, you know, a, a few days, depending on variety and weather and all that. So I think, um, you know, you look at it on the map and see, well, there's just no way that, that you grow cotton up there. And so uh, there were some pioneers on the ground up there that wanted to try it and and Part of the reason for that is that Kansas, like a lot of other um, states that are uh, connected to the Ogallala Aquifer, is starting to have stress on their groundwater supply. And so cotton is a very drought-tolerant crop. And somebody said, well, why not try cotton? And so they did, uh, started experimenting with it in the 90s. And fast forward up to about the year 2000, they start planting it as a um as a you know a row crop a, a regular row crop of course they didn't have any gins then uh, or warehouses to store it and and so finally they got a gin up there and it worked pretty well and uh then they brought us in uh, to handle the marketing of that crop up there and today you've got uh, several gin plants there we have two warehouses in kansas uh, believe it or not we have one in in uh, liberal Kansas, and then we have one in Clearwater just below Wichita. And the thing that is surprising about that territory, if you take that area, for example, around uh, Wichita, it has basically uh, the same, if not a warmer climate than we do here on the high plains of Texas. So uh, they actually produce some pretty good yields. Uh, that cotton is coming behind grain in many cases, and soil nutrients are good. So it it's working toward, you know, being a pretty important crop. And to tell you how serious they are about it, uh, they just recently enacted a Bolivar eradication program in Kansas. And that took getting that legislation through the Kansas uh, assembly and Senate and signed by the governor. And so uh, we, we've made big investments there. And we think that uh, that cotton in Kansas is there to stay. So pretty, pretty excited about it. Thank you. So speaking of the different states that you guys represent, obviously Capital Farm Credit has nearly a statewide footprint in the state of Texas. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about uh, cotton numbers in the U.S. Uh, and then what might be represented by PCCA and then within those respective states that you guys represent. So if you look at the U.S., you know, cotton year in, year out is going to be around probably 11 to 12 to 13 million acres worth of plantings every year. Um, here in Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas, uh, that those numbers can vary a little bit uh, in terms of what's planted uh, by state. So normally, like in Kansas, you'd see a couple hundred thousand acres. In Oklahoma, you might see six to 800,000 acres. Uh, and then, you know, four plus million here in Texas. And, you know, Again, going back to the water situation, that's largely what is driving uh, the selection of cotton in the drier parts of those three states. And so, you know, it, it performs pretty well uh, when you have a drought or even, you know, just dry weather. Cotton can convert uh, just about uh, any amount of rainfall uh, into a, a pretty viable crop here. And so, you know, we have uh, farmers that can plant other things depending on what part of the state they're in. So if they're down south in that coastal bend, upper coastal bend area, uh, the valley uh, grains are certainly a 
a viable crop there uh, as they are in the Texas Blacklands. But uh, up here on, you know, rolling plains, high plains of Texas, you're looking at probably a combination of cotton and milo as your predominant row crops uh, with some specialty crops of peanuts. And then, of course, some people will put corn and wheat in their rotations. Uh, but cotton, cotton is, is basically um, the biggest crop here. If you look at it in terms of what that is and nationally, uh, if you took Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas and, and put that all together, uh, that, that can account for uh, half or more of the U.S. cotton crop uh, on a good year. That's a lot. I'm not a smart man, but half is a lot. Don't ask the attorney to do numbers. <laughs> so one of the things that as we consider capital farm credit, we're a cooperative, but we're 110% agriculture. Uh, one of the things that we consider important to us for our future success and viability is, is really because we're 110% agriculture is the viability of uh, producers and then the next generation producers, as I believe we've alluded to, uh, the number of producers being reduced over the last several years. Um, let's say uh, I'm a new cotton farmer in the state of Texas. Would you have any advice for me? Yeah, make friends with some older cotton farmers first that have seen a few things go by and um, and learn all you can uh, from them. Um, so a couple of things you talked about there in terms of trends are, are absolutely true. One is that we are in an era of um, consolidation. So uh, because of the amount of capital it takes to farm, uh, you're going to see fewer, uh, bigger farmers. And that's also a trend that we see in the downstream part of the business, whether it's gins, warehouses, um, you, you name it, all the way to the end user. So there's a lot of um, effort and a lot of capital required for a young farmer to enter the business. Uh, you know, you're going to have some choices to make about what you invest in, in terms of you know, owning or renting land. Uh, you're going to have choices to make about you know, how intensely you cultivate cotton, what you're willing to spend on it. If you have uh, irrigation, uh, that makes that decision a little bit easier, but not always. And so it's important, I think, to learn uh, from people that have been doing this for generations, you know, what works and what doesn't. The flip side of that, some of our younger farmers have some great ideas. I mean, just, you know, don't be afraid to try new things. Uh, you know, one of the things I enjoy about my job and the, the vantage point that I have here is that I've been able to witness a lot of innovation and, and PCCA has been able to participate in a lot of that over the years. And I think a lot of that is driven by the fact that farmers are great inventors. Um, I, I love the way if something doesn't exist, they'll go out and make one, they'll invent one. And today, you know, you can look at uh, farm machinery and a lot of that has been uh, a derivative of something that a farmer created on his operation. And so uh, some of the younger growers are coming up with great things in terms of cultivation, uh, you know, pressing us on how we integrate risk management into their marketing plans uh, for the year, uh, doing other things that help them yield more um, uh, or do it for less. 
and uh, also being able to take advantage of some of the sustainability programs that brands and retailers are 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 clamoring for because their their consumers are clamoring for it. And so, uh, you know, if I had to take a, a a farmer that's entering today, a lot of them, um, Clint and Joe, have college educations. They're very smart, uh, well educated. So uh, both sides bring a lot to the table, and 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 boy, you take a guy that's willing to learn and also willing to uh, think out of the box. I think you've got a recipe for somebody that could be pretty successful in farming. Yep. So you manage. You, you mentioned managing risk. You know, I see that as a, a big value. You know, knowing personally a lot of what you know PCCA provides as far as in terms of value. To the cotton producer but let's talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that and how you see pcca addressing you know a value need of the producer with with regards to risk management in the cotton yeah i you know i i think i, I talked to a group the other day and i was telling them they, they asked me what i thought the biggest challenge was uh for the future for farming and it really i don't i don't think it it's not just farming, it's for everything, every area of business. Uh, you're, if you were to look around at the, the global environment we've got in terms of the economy, geopolitics, and other factors, risk is the biggest issue that we face today. And so whether it's uh, finding uh, a way to uh, be able to insure your property or uh, insure uh, other forms of risk uh, in terms of physical assets, uh, that is getting more expensive by the day uh, because the people that are willing to take those risks are charging more for it. And so that leaves us with the choice of, okay, are we going to um, just accept the risk on our own, on ourselves and try to self-insure ourselves or at least a portion of it? Or are we just going to pay up to someone else to take that risk? And those are very expensive propositions. The same thing is true when it comes to marketing. Uh, you look at, um, okay, you've got prices that on cotton, and this would be true grains as well, livestock certainly. You look at the price variability within a season, and it is huge, wild swings. And so uh, just as sort of anecdotal evidence, you know, when I was first starting out in this business back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, people used to be able to, to trade options on cotton for two or three cents a pound would get you something really good. And that's because the, the volatility in the market, uh, that's about all it would bear. And uh, you introduce electronic futures trading uh, in 2008 to cotton, and all of a sudden you brought in all these uh, global traders and speculators, and the, the volatility has just gone wild since then. And so now uh, for something that costs you two cents a pound to um, ensure your price, you know, uh, three decades ago, you're probably looking at something that's double digits uh, at this point. And so again, it's, it's who's willing to take the other side of that. And so one of the things that a co-op could do is integrate that into uh, the, the population of farmers. And that's something that we do here at PCCA. Uh, we uh, are able to uh, go in and take those positions without a farmer having, having to stand up a, a futures and options account, without him having to margin that account. And, and we do that and are able to do it effectively with uh, all of our farmers. And uh, that's something that we just have to be able to do together. When you, you mentioned earlier, strength in numbers, I think this is a perfect example of uh, how that works with, uh, with price risk management. 
That's interesting. So you guys are actually offering your producers or your members the opportunity to take advantage of some of those al alternative products, let's call them, to manage the risk outside of the pool? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, we allow them to, um, for example, if somebody wants to do something that uh, they want to sell their cotton and leave it on call um, with us and set the price later, then they're able to do that. And we actually take on that risk in our own futures account here uh, at PCCA where they don't have to uh, meet margin if the price goes against them. Uh, and we're able to do that effectively because we've got the, the, the financial firepower to, to do that versus them having to take that risk on their own balance sheet uh, at, at the farm. And that stuff, so those things are all baked into the pool as well. So the pool does hedging uh, basically on behalf of uh, the pool membership. And that's another way where uh, risk uh, management is inter integrated into the, the marketing product. At that point, it's not just strength in number, it's protection in number. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. I, my mind tends to, tri to to drift toward, you know, the banker in me is thinking about the risk management piece of this, but the opportunity with PCCA of a cotton producer and how that might affect us as, as bankers, Joe. Do you have any perspective on that, Kevin? Well, I think, you know, I think if you're looking at from a banker's perspective that, you know, predictability and the, and, and the ability for the producer to pay out at the end of the season are two things that are probably on your mind. You guys that work that every day, I, I don't, but yep. uh, this is, this, this is what I'm told by uh, 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 bankers in any of our production areas. And so again, I think, you know, if you're looking to say, okay, what, what do we have to work with here in terms of managing risk? So we have crop insurance uh, if you're a grower and that crop insurance and the price that it, uh, is set at for the year is a very important part of that plan. And the other thing is, what what can we do in terms of marketing? Because we have all this weather volatility, what can we do in terms of marketing to make sure that uh, if we have, you know, a, a crop problem somewhere that we're going to keep you uh, off the bottom of the market so that you can at least pay back your cost of production and make some money uh, some profit along the way. And that's, that's, that's the most sustainable thing you can do on a farm is be profitable. So I think the, again, the, you know, the ability to be able to do that through some of these, uh, pooled marketing options is, is, should be pretty important to a banker in terms of predictability. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense to a banker. <laughs> uh, we're getting along in time here, but one of the things I wanted to talk about is the cotton industry. And you look at the cycle of the cotton industry. We, we obviously produce, you told us, a lot of the cotton within you guys' footprint. Uh, once it's produced, um, I'm going to ask a question that I know some of the answer to, but want you to give your version of it. I mean, where does that cotton go? Uh, is it Are there mills in the U.S. that it gets you know further produced into T-shirts and socks, let's say? or uh, mm -hmm. What does that end user look like? So kind of the, 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 the 30,000 foot views, you know, once the cotton is harvested, um, it, it gets taken to a gym where the lint and the seed are separated. And then also the gin removes most of the foreign material in that. And from there, it goes into a warehouse. And so, you know, for example, we warehouse, um, uh, we can warehouse as much as 2.2 million bales of cotton in PCCA's warehouses. And of course we have sister co-op here, farmers co-op compress that 
uh, can do more than that. It's the largest warehouser in the world. And so we're able to add value by getting that cotton, the, the logistics on that cotton right. Uh, and that cotton is taken to, um, you know, um, either by truck or by rail um, to someplace where it's going to get onto an ocean vessel. And in this example, for our area, almost all of our cotton goes to um, a foreign country to be made into yarn and into a textile application. Uh, we do have uh, textile manufacturers here in the U.S., but they are primarily located on the eastern seaboard. And uh, believe it or not, we can actually ship cotton cheaper to Southeast Asia than we could ship it to the Southeast U.S. Um, it doesn't seem like it should be that way, but uh, that's that's the way it is. And so one of the things that we did to find ways to, again, add value as a cooperative is uh, we opened up our own private uh, intermodal facility. It's one of only seven on the BNSF uh, network in Altus, Oklahoma. So we're able to load unit trains with cotton. Uh, from that point, ship it directly to uh, Los Angeles or Long Beach, where it's put onto a vessel and taken to uh, countries like uh, 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 China, Vietnam, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Turkey, uh, you know, all, probably not places that are high on your vacation list, but they are really good at producing textiles and apparel. And so that's that's kind of the value chain of how we get cotton from a producer's hands uh, into a, a T-shirt or socks. Um, and most of that, of course, is, is imported back here into the U.S. That's interesting. We produce our cotton here. It goes overseas, be further produced, and then it comes, it comes right back to us mm -hmm. in a yeah. finished product. Yeah. And it normally, you know, Clint, to that point, it, it generally follows labor. So we can make yarn in the U.S. Uh, probably as efficiently as anybody in the world. We've got, um, you know, our, the reliability of our electric power, um, you know, just the, the other things that make us good at manufacturing here. Uh, we can make yarn uh, very reliably. Uh, fabric, a uh, similar measure, but it gets a little more complicated than that. What we can't do here in the U.S. Uh, is we don't have the labor pool to be able to handle the, the cut and sew operations. Uh, so we used to be in the textile business at PCCA uh, until some uh, trade agreements kind of uh, forced us out of it. But uh, we used to be able to make... Uh, from yarn to denim to uh, a pair of blue jeans. And uh, it was really, it, it was a good business, but we had to have the jeans made, made in Guatemala uh, because uh, we did not have the labor pool here. And of course, fast forward to today, that, that was back in the, the 2000s. Fast forward to today, and there's almost no way that you could envision that kind of uh, labor pool being available. We all know how hard it is to uh, fill open jobs. So, uh, you know, I think there's some, some hope, there's some hope on the horizon out there that we might be able to get some of that back here through automation. Uh, you know, if they can, uh, they being, uh, the, you know, automation experts can develop ways to, uh, cut fabric into garments and have, uh, have it machine assembled, uh, then there's a real likelihood that we could, uh, de-risk that part of our supply chain by having it here uh, in, in the U.S. Uh, but as you know, those things are very capital intensive and it's going to probably going to take some time. So in the meantime, yes, we're, we're faced with uh, largely having imported uh, textiles and apparel. Got a pretty cool story. 
one of the things that was pretty impactful to me, uh, we previously visited with Dr. Jim Mazurkiewicz of, uh, with the tall program, but I was, I was in tall back in the day and, uh, we ha- took a, an, an international tall tour to China. And one of the things that we did there outside of Shanghai was we toured one of the large textile mills. And I, I'd remember the name if I, if I heard it very large one, but what was pretty impactful to me is that we were able to inspect, uh, their cotton bale inventory. And, and Joe, for you, you may not know, every bale has a unique ID when it's ginned in the U.S. with a bale number, and then it mm-hmm. usually has the gin that ginned that. It was pretty cool because we were able to go back in Shanghai, China, you know, a, a country bumpkin at that time from <laughs> West Texas. At that time? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> let's let's not talk about that. Hey, let's take, talk about Takes cotton. one to know one. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I was able to go through their uh, cotton inventory and found some bales that came from Olton, Texas. And I think they were, I think they came from either quarterway or halfway, but it, I thought it was really cool to be around the world on the, on the other side of the world in another country to see a bale that was produced, you know, about 35 minutes north of uh, where we live. That's neat. It, it really was. And we were able to take that bale tag. We actually took a, a picture of it um, and were able to go back in the system. I think we, I think we got with one of the warehouses or EWR, one of the two, and they were actually able to tell us who that, who the producer was yeah. and what, yeah. I think they so, even got the data of what field it came from. Yeah. Quick story about that. Every, you know, everything is really, we, we could tie everything back to the acre uh, with our, our systems that we run here at PCCA. And I've had the same experience myself in, in a Chinese mill clinic where I went in there and there's several of our co-op gens that were, that had cotton in that lay down that was about to be made into uh, yarn. But the the genesis of all of that, uh, being able to make that identity occur uh, right here at PCCA. And so uh, I was telling you earlier about the invention of Telcot. The, the sister uh, technology to that uh, was electronic warehouse receipts. And so uh, as Telcot went along back in the day, we used to, to trade cotton in it, but it had a, Every bale of cotton, as you noticed earlier, has a, a unique identifier. and It had a paper uh, receipt, a paper title to it. And it was a computer punch card. And in the 80s, uh, when we patented Telcot, we also patented electronic warehouse receipts. And so uh, the title to every bale of cotton gets traded, uh, uh, exchanged, I should say, electronically. And so uh, th- that barcoded tag on that bale is tied back to the electronic warehouse receipt and it's what allows us to track it from the field all the way through to that textile mill to uh, the end user application and all the value that 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 adds and I will tell you again going back to this theme of innovation from farmers uh, I don't think that that technology would exist today without the creative mind of farmers saying how can we do this better cheaper and faster and and how can uh, most importantly probably how can we get paid faster and so uh, that system really has revolutionized the entire uh, u.s um, uh, cotton industry and we're really the only ones that offer it yep. uh, there's no doubt about it so within the ag industry cool. i would say that pcca has been more technology technology technological here comes my country bumpkin technologically innovative than any other firm really in across any commodity, I I would say. And to illustrate what Kevin's really talking about in previous life, I I financed a lot of cotton warehouse receipts or cotton bills for further trade. Uh, One of the stories from one of the older bankers that I worked with 
would tell stories about in the days of paper warehouse receipts. So we would take those as collateral. The bank that I worked for would take those as collateral. But when they traded, we facilitated that trade. So we ensured that that merchant that was doing business with us either had their money or their warehouse receipt, if that makes sense. So he would tell me stories about buying two plane tickets, one for himself and one for a bag of warehouse receipts. I mean, if you think about it, yeah. we're talking about it, uh, one tray sale could be, you know, five, two, five, ten thousand bales. Yeah. And so those warehouse receipts have to, it's like a title to a vehicle if yeah. you're buying a car. They had to be. And you don't give those to the baggage handler. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. So he bought a seat and he would, he would tell me about it. He'd put the seatbelt on and the whole. Guarded with your life. Pretty funny. Uh, yeah. But I, you're, that, that's no joke. That, that, that story is one of many uh, that fall into that. But again, you know, I think thanks to some very creative minds back in uh, the 70s and 80s, uh, we, we uh, eliminated uh, that, that burden on us. And again, I, I have to credit the co-op system for doing that. Sure. Sure. Well, as we kind of wrap this up, I'm, I'm curious if... I was a, one of those producers that doesn't do business with PCCA, but I was either already farming cotton or, or considering farming cotton or maybe even a new producer. How would, how would I get into touch with you guys uh, to consider some of the options that you guys provide with regards to providing value in, in my operation? Well, I think the first thing I would do is go to PCCA.com and uh, you can get just a general overview there, but don't hesitate to pick up the phone and call us. Um, um, you know, that we, we have lots of folks here that would love to be able to talk to you about what we do and, and why we think it's the, the best way uh, to market your cotton and get all the, the, the affiliated services that, that go with that. Um, also, you know, you know, talk to uh, other farmers out there and they're going to talk about a variety of different ways that you can market. But, you know, one of the things that we do we spend a lot of time on, especially as we get new generations of farmers coming in, is educating them about how important it is to work together. Uh, because when these co-ops were formed back in the, the 40s and 50s, uh, the problems were real and they had to either innovate or die. And the innovation was to uh, form a cooperative so they had the leverage to uh, get the most out of their, their cotton. And so I don't think that's changed today. Uh, what has changed is the number of messages that uh, farmers are hearing from different folks. And we, we, we could look at social media or, you know, just email or text messages or, or YouTube or whatever it is of people competing for their attention about different things. And, and we use all those things to get, get our message across. But uh, the, the noise level is a lot higher. And so it's really important to think. And, and if, if, I think most producers will think about it. They'll think, you know, if I'm if I market with my neighbors and we have the right game plan in place because we own the company and we own the supply chain, uh, I think we're better off every day. Yep. That phrase, innovate or die, it sounds harsh, but man, it's true. And I remember it's the true. first time I heard it, I was like, wait, no, that's it. So I really like to choose that. I think that's yeah. Yeah. new hashtag. Yeah, that's it. Yep. So yep. innovate or die. Well, Kevin, we really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much for your time and uh, just really appreciate it. We appreciate what Capital Farm does for our growers and, uh, and we look forward to visiting with you uh, again in the future, guys. Awesome. Absolutely. 
Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for joining us today on Capital Roots. Texas agriculture is the foundation of our story and what makes us family. Capital Farm Credit is a proud member of the farm credit system. We finance farmers, ranchers, agricultural producers, and rural landowners, and we're here to make your vision a reality. We've been serving rural Texas for more than a century. Whether it be traditional, innovative, or lifestyle, we'll help you cultivate new ground. We're all in this together. Because together, we're better.